Hi, welcome to another episode of the Mixology Collection podcast. My name is Damien. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Rupin. For those that do, he's in now. We're on another one, man. Another another lockdown episode. How are you doing, brother? You can't stop us now. I'm doing good. I'm good. It's another week. Yeah. Um, looking forward to this. We're getting closer and closer to, to the country opening now, aren't we? I mean, every, every week we would do one of these as a week, getting closer to, to opening up a lockdown. Well, it's going to be, what, five days from today? Crazy, man. Crazy. But first things first, how, how's the little one doing, bro? <laughs> the little one is amazing. Every day is just a new a new journey, a new uh, exciting moment in her life. Um, yeah, it's just such a blessing to be at home during this period. And how are you? You've been busy this weekend. Yeah, yeah, really good, man. Really good. Um, working with probably like the best events company in the country. Shout out to Campfire Trailer. Um, yeah, we've been trying to do our bits and pieces, um, click and collect services, just trying to do what we can to provide people with cocktails, but doing it in a way, obviously, that, that uh, following the rules and regulations that the government's put mm. in place at the moment. But now, nah, man, it's been blessed. It's been a, it's been a really good week. Busy, busy, busy. But that's that's the way it should be, right? Absolutely, and it's yeah, adapting to these new times. And I think our next guest um, is going to tell us all about what they're doing what they've been through um and i think it's gonna be quite exciting to hear their journey yeah man like uh, do you know what honestly we've been super lucky with the people that we've had on but th- this this is just like we're now in the premier league damien when it when it, when it comes to guests let's be honest we, we've really kind of uh, i think our guests are really going to enjoy this one I've got a little stat for you my man so there's a statistic out there that says that most pod- new podcasts don't last more than seven episodes and, and uh, we're on episode seven yeah and I feel like we just pulled the ace out. We pulled out the ace here. So, <laughs> no pressure to our guests. So normally I do the introductions, but I'm going to leave this one with you because I know you've got a lot of questions you want to ask this gentleman today, man. Who, who have we got today, Damien? So today it is my greatest pleasure to introduce Mr. JJ. Whoop, whoop, whoop. One, two, Ooh. three. <laughs> what up, motherfuckers? <laughs> How you doing, brother? How you doing? Yeah, man, I'm out here working to the bone. I'm working hard. We got four days, uh, four or five days, whatever it is. I'm a complete loss. The last two weeks, the the analogy that we've been using at work is the idea that you've been waiting for a train patiently for three and a half, four months, and then the train turns up. It's going 200 miles an hour. And it's not stopping, but you still got to get on it real fucking quick. Yeah, that train's not so expensive. Nuts out there right now. I'm not going to lie. This is, yeah, very unusual. And we're trying to get it right. And uh, that's taking 100% of us. I already, before today, I had a bunch of stuff that I knew I wanted to ask you. And then you, in the last few days, just dropped a bomb on the industry with some two really big pieces of news. Not sure what website you've been reading first. <laughs> if we're going off my Facebook, I'm very excited to announce that I'm going to become a dad again. I know you're just going through that right yeah. now, Damien. It's cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's just, just the best thing. You know, when they say it's life-changing, you know, they're not wrong and it's all cliche, but it's just such a wonderful experience. Yeah, I can really hear it in your voice when you explain it too. Like, I know we, we had a quick catch-up last week and I've, I've yeah. got That was a lovely chat. Yeah, I know. It's great. So we've kept it really tight. So we're doing it twice. So Layla Gray Goodman is uh, just turned one uh, last month. So there's going to be around just under two years between the two kids. We found out we're having a boy. Amazing. Congratulations, brother. What was the other bit of news? 
Uh, well, you're opening four sites for the 4th of July. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we decided that it would be really good to get a part of the conversation for the relaunch. We thought as inevitably when you own a group of basement bars, January and, uh, sorry, July and August, your two worst trading months of the year. So we just figured we'd ride out the, you know, the JRS right the way through till September, really. But we just could, we got so excited. We were like, let's get a part of the conversation. Let's get a warm bar open. Let's do, let's do Bethel Green. Um, and then on Friday, the boards aligned and said, well, why don't we, why not make it four? And we've got 12 bars. That seems like the right thing to do. So we're in tomorrow morning's the first day of boot camp. I'm hosting my first full training, uh, week for the first time in maybe five or six years. I'm back behind the bar. I've got 20 of my best bartenders from the company coming back in, my Avengers. We're going to be doing retraining from scratch uh, over three days with a new menu dropping on Friday. We're going to go with a half menu this weekend to get us through the 4th, 5th. And then next week, we go we go live with a brand new menu, new uniforms, staff fucking pumped, ready to like jump out, grab people by the throat, snap neck, be awesome. Um, and it feels good, and I feel like I'm back on the front line again. I, I like... I've gone through so many emotional stages in this rebirth, which is what we're calling it at board level, the rebirth of London Cocktail Club. And I, um, you know, I, I'm not bullshitting. Like, I, I feel, I feel so connected with the company again. Um, and what a ridiculous thing to happen to feel, you know, so ingrained in the in the business. It's a strange thing. Eleven years of running anything, guys. Right? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, a relationship, a marriage. A friendship, like, you know, go back 11 years and which of your best school buds are still here 11 years later, let alone what I've gone through with Hoppy and the rest of the crew in the last 11 years. So I feel like we're getting we're getting the band back together and it feels like this great sequel. Um, and I'm buzzed for it. Incredible, man. I mean, we always like to go kind of back to the beginning of our guest career. Um, yeah. Just yeah. kind of understand the journey and the growth. So, born in Birmingham. West Midlands, West Midlands, massive. I didn't even know you were Midlands, but I'm East Midlands, bro. I'm East Midlands. I'm a Leicester boy, but I didn't know you were from the Midlands. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, born in Selhurst Hospital, uh, 30th of March, 1984. Uh, grew up in um, uh, Bart Green for a little bit. And then when my parents split, I moved to Worcester where I was already going to school. So I moved to Worcester when I was like 12 years old. So I hang on to the Birmingham thing a little bit. Obviously, the more the more cheap uh, Pinot Noir I drink, the thicker the accent gets. <laughs> you might be lucky by the end of the chat. That's, that's amazing. This podcast has shown a lot of love to Birmingham. It's, uh, it's, it seems like a recurring theme. <laughs> you know what, Damien? You're right. A, a, a lot of our guests are coming out of Birmingham who have some sort of Birmingham attachment, influence, relationship, but... That whole Midlands connection—that's amazing, man. But going back to the beginning, we 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 met we met um, when uh, uh, the Covent Garden Cocktail Club first opened. Actually, it was a friend of mine, uh, Jay Decker. Shout out Jay Decker that was working with you, man. That's uh, it was opening night that I met you, and uh, you New Year's Eve. Talking about that, um, yeah, yeah. New Year's Eve, two thousand eight nine. That's when we first launched on the Cocktail Club, and like it was just one hell of a night. And, um, you know, interestingly, I know you guys were talking about, you know, what what each of these little moments, you know, in, in different people's careers means to them. Um, I talk about the New Year's Eve thing because I think when you uh, imagine life as a bar owner, 
Uh, it's all like white doves and fireworks, right? You know, opening night's a really, really, really big deal. And um, I've been a, a, a big advocate of trying to train and coach people into, into young and small businesses through different outlets, but obviously at work for LCC. The bar back to bar owner, you know, training ethos is something that's completely embedded there. Um, but when you open your first bar, New Year's Eve 0809, and it was an incredible night, we did we did some good numbers. Um, the the knowledge that we were, you know, I think it was only like I say only, like we talk about sixty thousand pounds in debt. Your entire life has gone by, and you you dip in and out of the red, right? You've never been sixty grand in debt in your fucking life, have you? Disgustingly <laughs> horrible feeling that will ever come over you. Um, so, and my my mum was there, and she bought the this like red tape and these oversized scissors and stuff because she loves getting drunk and creating these moments. She's beautiful like that. Um, but I remember cutting through this like you know almost cheesy ceremonial cutting of the the cord, and uh, this realization that I was at the I was like not at the bottom of the mountain. I was like tunneled in underneath through a few canyons. That's where my journey was actually starting. Um, and it completely changes the way in which you look at business. Hey, and it, it changed how we did, you know, how we worked that whole system. I think I've read or heard somewhere that you credit going into business to your mum because she was a business owner herself. So have you ever kind of gone back to her and say, Oi, Mama. <laughs> you got me into this. Yeah. Well, my mum, my mum's a beautiful, amazing person. So is my dad. They're both entrepreneurs. My dad's a very successful entrepreneur. Um, you know, the last couple of deals, uh, you know, as you guys, uh, Rupal know, the Midlands, my dad was in the uh, machinery business and that, mm-hmm. that bottomed out in the, in the Thatcher era and stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. We started importing, etc. So, but, you know, in his core, he was an incredible business person. I think we all get amazing influences from our parents, don't we? Absolutely. Um, my mum, you know, my mum was just uh, was just brilliant at whatever she applied herself to. So, you know, you, you go back and the, the story is, well, she was a bunny girl for a little bit. She used to run the door at the Manchester Bunny Clubs. Up, up That's in the cool. She's from Preston originally. Um, she worked for the BBC. I don't know if you guys remember a show called Challenge Annika. Yeah, man. The story. My mum used to wear these jumpsuits, and she was a buyer, for, a prop buyer for the BBC. So uh, she was very friendly with uh, loads of people um, within the BBC. And you know, she got told that you know that entire TV show was built around her. And Annika Rice wore my mum's jumpsuits, essentially, and stuff. You know, and then she went into holistic health in Birmingham. I don't know if you guys remember um, the Zen shops in Mosley and in Brindley Place. Was a alternative uh, holistic therapy. She was the UK's, I think, second largest importer of magic mushrooms for a couple of years back then. <laughs> um, yeah, man, like you know, she's a very unusual, brilliant, beautiful, incredible woman. And I think when you have people around you like that uh, who believe in you, they're going to push you to be ahead of yourself. Um, and and I think I've tried to take on that where I look at talent around me and I'm very very quick to try and give back in some way what I was given was was that little nudge 
that we all need. Um, and that's because of her. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah, Shout Les. out to Mama Goodman there, man. Shout <laughs> out, honestly. But did you ever think the, the bar would be what it is today? Did you have that vision in your mind back then? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I did and I didn't. And I think, you know, it's. I think it's. this is a good opportunity to look at my CV pre-LCC. So mm-hmm. I had a really lovely balance of working for some big firms uh, like the Maxwell's Group. Well, you know, obviously in London, I was at, you know, Roadhouse and, and Navajo Joe's. Um, I was with Living Ventures when we launched Prohibition Leeds um, back in fucking hell, 2003, um, and was with those guys for a little bit. Um, Be at One, when they opened their third bar, like, you know, you've got to remember three bars at Beer One. They sold, you know, 30. 8 million quid for 25 bars or whatever it was at the end. craziness. But I also worked for some incredibly small boutique brands, worked with guys like Tim Oakley um, down at Iniquity and Clapham. Um, and, I, you know, I you know, fell in love with mixology in different ways. So, yep. you know, the, the, the inspiration comes from, you know, from all different, if different ways. So I saw what a big business looked like. And I saw the inner workings of a big business. And, you know, bless, I was I was allowed to be an important cog in some of these bigger bigger firms. And then the independence where you get to be creatively expressive when sort yeah. of menus, the way in which you write training plans, which was an important thing for me. Like I love systems, um, which kind of contradicts creativity somehow, but you merge those two things together and you get something quite special. So when we did LCC, it was just let's let's like let's have a, a party speed bar that just is in love with mixology for one of a better phrase and you know the the tradition, the heritage of great of great classic cocktails. Why can't you fucking dance on the bar top, sing along to ACDC, and smash like fucking banging martinis? Yeah. Why can't you have both? And that's essentially what we what we ended up producing. Um, and people really bought into it. And I just think that's it. Like, and you set, it's so easy to set that image in your mind now. Yeah. yeah like I, I like really good drinks. Yeah. I like having a really good time. Why can't I have it at the same time? But think of all the brilliant, even now, like where are we at now? Blessed that like last few years, the emergence of the hotel bar, you know, you're going to get a beautiful drink. You're going to bleed through the nose for it. It's where we were for 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. for it. It's going to taste delicious. Um, but you're not going to have a great, you're not going to have a fun time. You're going to have a beautiful time. But you're not going to have a fun time. If you want to get to have a fun time, chance of you getting a great drink, you know, not guaranteed. So we constantly live in this idea of trying to bring these two worlds together. And I think this rebirth of London Cocktail Club, what our next five-year plan is, I think we're actually going to go a little bit um, sharp, a little bit cleaner with what we're doing. Because I think we've probably been a little bit dive and having a, a little bit too much fun for a little bit too long. <laughs> so we're, we're balancing in between these two spaces at all times. And I think that's also a beautiful thing about the, the London Cocktail Club is every bar is just an expression of its location. And we're constantly moving to, you know, make the shoe fit. So it, it, we're not we've not decided that, what we achieved 10 years ago is is what we wanted to do every time we've opened a new bar. It certainly isn't what we want to be in the future. I like the organic nature of it because it all revolves around the beauty of bartending. Yeah, man, I have to agree with everything you've just said. Um, one of the things I've been really interested in, uh, in regards to yourself, man, is like 
it, it's rare that we kind of used, I mean, everyone always uses the word legend to far, far too much as far as I'm concerned, but it's rare that you come across an individual or someone that's been influential and, and the word kind of iconic comes to mind. And, and some of the things that you've done, some of the things that you've achieved, I think you might laugh it off, man, but that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I've been following your career for a long time, man, and you've influenced myself, you've influenced a lot of people that stand next to me. Um, but the, the London Cocktail Club, the, the scene, the, the group, everything about it, 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 is, it is iconic. Do you know what I mean? Even, even your tagline. Um, and you're so embedded in the industry. People know who you are. And, and as soon as people mention any of your bars, it's so embedded. But I kind of want to go backwards a little bit if it's all right. Um, so I want to know about you and your influences. Like, as, I mean, my understanding is that you're, you're a 16-year-old glass wash at one point, you're 17 year old by the time you, you, you pour in your first pint. How, how did you even get to that point? Like, forget where you are now today, but how did this? How did this even start in the first place? At what point did you go to yourself? This is a career opportunity for me because when you were doing it, when I was doing it, this was never deemed to be a career opportunity. So, how, how did it get to that point in the first place? Um, yeah, if we're going to go there, let's go there. Um, I think uh, I think over the years, you know, I'm, I'm 36 years old now, so I think I look back on it, and I think I'm probably more aware of of, of what what that younger man was going through, and um, without um, you know, without going too deep or anything, you know, yeah, like, my, my parents certainly got divorced. Um, uh, I moved to Worcester, this you know fabulous, wicked city, home of the source. Um, I had a great, you know, great, great time there um, at school. Made some really good friends, um, but you know, within within situations like that, inevitably, you know, you need to find your pocket money from somewhere else. Yep. So, um, so I did. So when I got a job in a bar, and, and my mum was open minded enough to think it was okay for a sixteen year old to go into town by himself and go and wash glasses and come home at four in the morning. You know, <laughs> she, was, she was cool. Um, and what I what I discovered there was um, the this kind of fraternity, probably a bit of an Americana word for it, but um, this family that's all embedded within this kind of soul, this you know, this sub community where. You can't help but feel just cool, and yeah. and, 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 it, and it's infectious. And the people that are around you are diverse. They're interesting. They're fun. Like when they're together, they're extra, and you're you're included within this kind of solar system. And it's and it's addictive, and it's a fun place to be. And, and I certainly got a real kick out of that. I'm not saying it's because of the, the divorce or anything, but yeah. Certainly, um, you know, I kind of went from a state school into private school, and which was amazing, and I'm very privileged for that opportunity. But you know, these kind of great cultural differences have always been really important to me, um, and I didn't understand what they were at the time. But I was clearly just thriving for for culture. I got that from my dad. I got that from my mum. I've certainly got that from from the bar industry. So. You know, I wanted to be the best glass washer. Like I don't want to sound like the the, That's the cool, right? Ali quote. You know, <laughs> says uh, Ali, like, what would you have done if you were in a boxer? And Ali goes, I don't care if I was a dustbin man. I cl- I collect more dustbins per square mile 
than any other dustbin man on the fucking planet. Like, I love that, like, that mentality. I talk about the 1% rule a lot. Just every day wake up and be 1% better than yesterday. Not 20, not 30, not 40, not 100, not 200. Fuck all that. Just get those forms over the line. So I fell in love with it. And then, you know, when I got to make my first cocktail, my basketball coach was a big basketball player when I was was younger. Uh, He owned a, a bar. And I'd fiddle in on weekends and someone would occasionally ask for a cocktail and I got the opportunity to create a cocktail from this book. And it, the back bar <laughs> like had like a bottle of taboo on it. <laughs> that shit. There was like a bottle of Malibu, bottle of taboo, some Baileys. I think the first cocktail I ever made was like a grasshopper. Well, so- a tiny little like a Waitrose cocktail <laughs> Bible that he had back then in um in 2000, 2001, we're talking now. And um, and I and I, I I made it. I gave it to someone. They really enjoyed it. And there's this such simple basic thing that I don't get to be a part of now as a as an operator of a business. Yeah, is this exchange of I've just made this for you just now. It took me sixty seconds. Here it is for <laughs> you right now. Yeah, you saw me make it. And th- this might sound ridiculous to you guys, but and then they pick it up. They look at it. They smile because it's appealing, yeah. it's personal. It's an exchange between two people. They they sip it, take the first sip, or they drink it. They enjoy it. They share it with their friends. That was crack mm. for me. Like really? just like to to feel that with a stranger. Yeah, enough. I got addicted. Mm. To, I got addicted to mixing drinks straight away and then i watched cocktail the movie and then i really <laughs> no you're absolutely right. you're absolutely right man any any bartenders out there listening to this anyone that's ever worked at a bar listening to this uh, understands exactly what you're saying it's this industry is one of the few industries anywhere where you get to make the product in front of uh, your consumer bespoke to them and then hand it over to them and and we've all done it we've all watched that we've all watched them pick up the glass take their time to get to their table, sit down and nothing else matters until we've watched them take that first sip. Don't even talk to me. Don't look at me. And, 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 and like I say, anyone, anyone that's listening in now understands that. And as soon as they take that first sip, we're watching like hawks at that reaction. And if they, if we see that little smile or their, their, their lip purse or curl up, that's it. We're done. I'm, I'm all right now. I could go home now. I'm, and I'm, I'm done for the rest of the night. But you're absolutely right. I completely get where you're coming from, man. So- it's beautiful, man. And you know what? At the heart of all of it, you know, the you know all the you know essentially all the everything I've got to do with as far as like you know accountants and lawyers and and you know and it really is bottomless. When I mean, you start to get involved in HR, we've got over a hundred staff. Obviously, you know, twelve. Yeah, you know, you've got the you've got the different requirements from you know media want you here and there for blah 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 contracts here and there. And you just don't get to just hand someone a bevy, <laughs> right? In exchange, yeah. hash. Like I just, I just, um, you know, for those of you who sometimes maybe get a little bit, you know, stuck. Just take a little step back and just really value that. Like, just make someone the greatest drink they've ever had and playing the greatest song they've ever heard. And you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's just. I'm on my che- I'm on I'm on cheap uh, 
Pinot Noir, and it just gets the emotional side. Of me <laughs> you know, but you're not, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong, brother. Damien, were you going to say something, man? Yeah. So, so obviously things turned like 2008. Once you started getting the investors involved, and you know, some very influential people. How quickly then would you say it took for you to get caught up in that business side and needing to step away from being behind the bar? Um, that's a really big question, and it involves some really beautiful people. So um, inevitably, it was my mum and my stepdad uh, and my business partner, James, uh, and later my sister, Ava, who essentially gave me all of their cash. And we launched London Cocktail Club in the basement of the Arts Theatre. So it was a dis- it's a it still is relatively a disused um, basement of a theatre where you have to get in there by going through a fire exit. Um, you know, this was pre-speakeasy being cool. It really was fucking horrible. Um, but we well, we were there to start. Yes, of the we year, were, brother. We? I think that's why we decided to actually put this podcast together. Was there? <laughs> it was. Yeah. Upstairs. It's a creative space. Yeah. Well, we've just done the upstairs bar as well, which has gone. Is gone. We finally got it. People are buying into this. Uh, you know, it's like a, a poor man's um, Beaufort bar. That's what we called it upstairs. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> when, when did it turn into a proper business? Well, we, we we touched on this idea that the second I had cut that ribbon, it really yeah. really turned into a business. If I'm honest. Um, at what point did I come off the bar? Um, probably on site three, um, which I think was like Oxford Circus or something with Shaftesbury soon after. Uh, we went back to Keystones and we, we actually bought the bar from a basketball coach, me and an old mate from school, which was cool to do uh, outside of LCC. That was a fun thing. Uh, funny enough, I actually uh, I told, the, I told the, the Waitrose book story um, years ago and he and he found it like behind the safe. <laughs> really? Well. Yeah, it's, it's, my, it's my favorite book in the in my kitchen cabinet. That's cool. Yeah, super fucking cool, right? Um, cool. Yeah, that that one. That it's great. It's a different kind of proud that one. Um, but yeah, no, it, it just it just grows. I think um, I very much got became obsessed with um, you know this idea of you know being forward thinking as a business. Um, and then expecting so much of my team to be uh, contributing. I think we were very open to uh, everybody from really early on. And when you, I mean, when you're working with someone like Andy Mill, who um, I still think to this day is one of the greatest bartenders I've ever sat at his bar, um, who now owns Cocktail Trading Co. Yeah, um, man, shout out to Andy Mill. Massive shout out yeah. to Andy Mill. Just what a beautiful human being. And um uh you know we gave birth to just uh, we just gave birth to so much creative talent in those early years that have gone on to do massive massive things because it was very much inclusive because we had this massive team buy-in we were were young you know it's quite sure see you know first lpc cg was 24 so 26 years old we're now in partner with raymond blanc one of the world's greatest ever chefs most influential people on the planet as far as fb is concerned we've got sarah willingham who went on after that and be dragon from dragons then and was an absolute beast who's ex clapham house group who grew gourmet burger kitchen she took pizza express global she's a phenomenal like human being in herself and the team that they bought in between them so you do get lost in this uh 
in this uh, aspiration to become them. I think it's fair to say. Fair. Very much envied, you know, everything they touched turned to gold and, and, and their own impression. So um, when did things get serious? Well, I also chose to kind of chase what they had for a time being. Um, I think I got it wrong a few times. Um, I think I got it right a few times. Um, but, you know, one of the greatest compliments that, that well, Sarah told me is one of the greatest compliments she could give somebody was just to be a sponge, um, just to constantly in yourself be evolving. I see what you guys are doing with this podcast, for example. It's the absolute, absolute the same thing. You know, don't, don't limit yourself by um, what you know. Yeah, and, and go and chase more. So, as much as I, I miss the the the, the root of everything that is special and intimate about our business. Um, I did go and I did go and look into the business or business as a whole, um, because I'm constantly hungry to learn. Um, and it's probably when I've hit a, a place where I have in the last few years where. London Cocktail Club has very much been a, a corporate entity. Yeah. Um, you have disagreements with that with that entity, obviously. And, um, you know, it's all went very good. Me turning up every board meeting, demanding pay rises for barbacks. But <laughs> you know, we've made agreements with bank managers and stuff. And it, it's, it's there is more to it. Of course. Um, but... Then this is the irony, which I was getting back to at the start, just before we guys went live. There is something really beautiful about this rebirth London Cotswold Club, where I just feel like it's starting again, but from a very different position. And also with the COVID situation, the big pressure is on yeah. to lose no jobs in the industry, whilst also having 50% capacity in our businesses. Yeah. So just touching on COVID then, so what has it, what has it taught you about yourself and the business and what changes has it brought about in yourself? Um, we, as a business or personally? Both. So I think um, I'll get on the business side of things. I'm really excited about our new perception of front of house. So. Okay. London Cotter Club was very much born in this like bartender fraternity, the bartender's paradise. And within that, the ego of mm. like the bartender's always right. And as we've grown the business, we've not neglected the floor as such, but we can certainly fill it with someone who's part-time, um, who, you know, has got good banter. They, they're required to know the menu, but certainly not to the milliliter. Um, and we and we we balance that out, and we we lost track of the door because essentially, let as many fuckers in as you fancy. Let's stick on some no doubt and some <laughs> love it, and let's churn out some banging drinks and swing some fucking lights like a set of rock stars. Um, what's great about the new opportunity? And I really, truly mean this. This is not a cop out in any way. Uh, the biggest session we're looking, for, I'm looking forward to. My MD Michelle Hall, who's got this incredible restaurant background, is going to be doing a one-hour session on the art of hosting. Um, and when we start talking about hosting, you guys understand this, right? What the restaurants do incredibly well 
Yeah. Just flip fucking tables. Yeah, work man. your tables. Work mm-hmm. your floor. Mm-hmm. Work your sides. Work, yeah. work, 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 work. And the the essence of the business is going to have to take place on these tables because this one meter distancing rule. So we call them floor tenders. But our new focus is going to genuinely be on floor tending. Um, and it's something that we've not gone through. And I feel I'm one of those bartenders who feels like he's been around the block a hundred times. Still <laughs> fucking tray. I'm that guy. So I'm just, I'm bang out for that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, re- it's really cool that um, w- with everything that you've uh, achieved and are achieving and, and, and your, where your career has been, that you still have, that level of humility and uh, self-awareness to know what you can and can't do, what you need to do, uh, and where you need to kind of be the, the inspiration for your people, I guess. I, I quite like that, actually. There's a, sometimes we can lose that. Sometimes we can feel like we're too too big or too important. You and I, brother, man, we, we, we've seen people. We may not be those people ourselves, but we've seen people in those positions. And, and, and you know, I, for those people that are listening in, um, I can see JJ through the Zoom, and, and he's currently laughing at me because of my comment. But like, but you, you, you know what I'm saying. Well, I, right? I agree. I agree with you. And I disagree with you. But I just want to clear something up. Yeah, yeah. doors. There is nothing I can't fucking do, <laughs> and there's nothing you can't fucking do. Oh, absolutely. And nothing you can't do either, Damien. And I believe that, and I fucking instill that into the veins of my guys. And I and I and I and I want to clear that. Like if if over the years I've ever been people have mistaken me from having um, a bit of an ego or whatever. Like I just really want to. I think I just really want to get over that bit where I just we all can all agree with ourselves that we can all be better at all times. And um, yeah, and I and, I, and, I, and again I'm at, I'm at a point in my life now, you know, married with the kids, you know, another one on the way where I can look back and go, you know what, smash that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with believing in yourself to the point where you believe that you can, you can achieve anything. I don't, I just don't think, I just don't see any negativity in it. And I think sometimes all of us just have to just, uh, brush that off. Do you know what? I couldn't agree with you any fucking more than what, what I already do. Um, <laughs> and there's not many people that say it out loud. I, I, I definitely am one of those people that likes to say it out loud to myself. Um, yeah, some of us have reputations for having egos where all we are is just a little bit confident in our own ability, but we try and pass that on. We try and pass that on to people and say, look, it's good. Everything's good. You're good. It's all good. We're going to be good. And, and just having that belief. Yeah, exactly, man. It's, and having that belief is, is, is rare, but it's rare to, to, to talk to someone that, that, that believes it uh, and lives it as much as you do. So that, that's incredible for me as well. But Damien's going to be uh, asking you a lot about the business side of stuff, if I'm honest, but I'm really interested. Go on, go on, Damien. Yeah, so not just the business. So this is kind of steps away from the business, but talking about self-belief and I got a lot of it through the Princess Trust when I was in my early twenties. I didn't. I got a I got a grant to set up my own business. I was a music producer at the time, and I did my business plan, and I got my money to set up my record label, and I had a mentor that coached me through. Um, and I know that's something that you've been working very passionately with them as well. Male or female? Or? It was a male. Uh, who was it? 
I don't remember the guy's name. Um, you know, we're talking 20, 20, 20 years ago now. Oh, wow. You look so yeah. young. I never would have had that. Oh, gosh, no. I need a haircut. Bro, if you get, if you get a chance, you've got to talk to Damien about his music background. He's worked with some incredible artists, honestly. He's, he's a dark horse, is Damien. I think me and your wife should probably do a track together as well, then. <laughs> Easy, bro. <laughs> 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 well, no, she's a, she's a she's a singer herself, isn't she? Yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, my wife is the most incredible opera singer and classical music singer, and um, she's uh, yeah, she's she's just working on her first album. Made oh, trying to have two kids. Yeah, you know, if uh, if you ever get a chance, check out Hannah Marie um, on YouTube. Um, and, uh, yeah, like she, um, she, she has an ability through, uh, her singing to, to stop time. This is another thing that we talk about wow. moments and, um, wow. yeah, just the, the emotion that she brings out for, you know, for someone who's just quite, you know, it's like, you know, very much girl next door, like lovely, beautiful, blonde, dizzy girl, um, who, would just, just intimidates people when she opens her mouth. I, I love that contrast in her as well. I think it's one of one of the many things that makes her very special. That's that's amazing. Mm. Sorry, sorry, Damon. I, mean, I interrupted your comment. Uh, no, no, it's, it's fine. It's just there's, there's just so much to talk to. I, I love it when you know a guest just has so much to offer, uh, and then just takes us in all different tangents. But yeah, going back to the Prince's Trust and the yeah. work that you do with them. Um, so yeah, so I was a young twenty-year-old that had support, and I was invited back to be a, a mentor um, to help other kids in Birmingham. Actually, I went up to um, where they're at the custard factory when they're up there, and so I helped a young music producer at the time. But um, you've been very much involved with educating and helping the, the youngsters as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, giving back is important. Um, I don't know if you guys get a chance uh, to check out the Wheel of Life, but it was something yep. I discovered a few years ago where the the essence of the real life is there's like eight categories of, within your world and that you need to be supporting all eight of them. So if, you're, if your relationship's going great, that doesn't mean that you're not going great in other places and it creates imbalance. And I truly believe, um, I'm not sure it's necessarily in there as such, but um, to be selfless is such an, an, an important part of all of us. Um, yeah, no, and we've never got time for it. Like there's a thousand reasons why you, you should you should be selfless, uh, shouldn't be selfless. Um, but the Prince of Trust was great. They they you know they they approached me and said um, uh, I was working with a guy called Jimmy Drummond's route, which you know, yeah. and um, you know he had a mate of his who was running this program, and they basically turned around and said, "Listen, we've had so much fun um, and success placing young people, which um, candidates in the Prince of Trust are known as." into hospitality-based jobs in, you know, food and hotel, do you think that um, there would be a way of doing this kind of quality versus quantity thing, which is unusual at LCC, um, <laughs> we could use the same guidance and training and, like, one-on-one uh, -on -one development schemes that we were developing to help people through? Um, and the answer was obviously yes. Please give me the opportunity to showcase the bar industry or specifically the cocktail industry um, as a great place of learning, confidence building, which um, obviously, Demi, you'll understand yeah. as one of the, some of the big challenges that young people have 
to overcome, to find success in themselves. They've got to often break out of the mold of their own community into something new. Um, and hospitality can genuinely do that. But confidence yeah. is often low, super high confidence in their own communities um, and often you know, almost intimidating when we talk about some of the, you know, the, the groups that the Princess Trust engage with. But taken out of that group and out of that comfort circle, um, you know, often really, really struggle. Um, and we just had some really great success in trying to grow people that way. And it, it felt really rewarding. But we also had a lot of failure. Like we weren't designed to look after people um, coming into our business that didn't naturally have um, an excitement mm-hmm. and, uh, and a desire to progress within the bar industry. We were saying, here's the bar industry. We think you're brilliant. We think that you'll grow within it. And our management team, whose job it was to employ people to hit their budgets and their turnover targets and their GPs and their and their and their costs, they're like, we've got a list of great candidates. Why am I being forced to take somebody from outside that pool of interesting of, 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 of commitment and success? Yeah. And and we then had to change the conversation to say it is about you and your success as a leader and a manager. And for you to be able to progress, you can't not not prove yourself in the field where we give you someone like this yeah. to grow and expand on them. And at the same time, what you'll learn about yourself will be invaluable for your life and your career. You make it sound all so simple. <laughs> but no, that's, that's amazing, man. That's so cool. Um, but... Does that sound, Damon, does that sound similar to, to that journey, right? You, you, you go in these relationships, by the way, you know, no point in my motherfucking Teresa or anything. It's just about creating opportunity and helping people guide that opportunity because they don't have any resources. And if you get success, brilliant. And if you don't, it's fine. The fact that they've had the opportunity to exercise that part of themselves, that, that part of their minds, the fact that they've had the opportunity to open it discover it and, f- and learn something about themselves whether it turns out to be success within that chosen direction or not is irrelevant it's about what they take home within themselves right it, well it came at the right time for me i was uh, my father died when he was 19 when i was 19 sorry and then i was a full-time carer for my mum so i was kind of stuck at home wow. and i was kind of a bit lost and didn't know what i was doing with myself because had this duty to look after family but i was working from home on music and it just wasn't going anywhere and the Princess Trust really gave me that confidence, as we said earlier. They Somebody had faith in me to support me and to give me that chance. And it really, really was a springboard to what I'm doing today, even though it's completely different career paths. But the confidence it's given me to believe in myself, to grow a business, was instrumental to who I am now. Oh, my God. I just got pins and needles everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I can I can empathise with, with with both of you, man. Like we've all we've all come from uh, similar backgrounds in that, in that sense, and yeah. and like m- my my whole thing at the moment is just about um, trying to support as many people as I can in the industry and outside of the industry. Those people that are struggling with mental health issues or financial issues or don't understand where they want to go in their lives and career paths, I kind of I've kind of become that person that they can come to and talk to and. 
and maybe give them a bit of guidance because like, like, like all three of us, man, we've all had our own personal successes and we've had all of our personal failures. And, and my big thing is about sharing both of those and being really open about it. And, and, and I'll try and get out there as, as much as I can. But like we all do what we can um, for our other people, all of us. But I've got a question for you, my man. Like who were, who were your inspirations? Who were the people that, I mean, outside of your parents, uh, growing up, but when you first entered the industry, who, who were the biggest influences for you and, and, and why? And, and what was it that you took with you from them? What parts of them did you carry through? And do you still, do you still carry it through now? Is, that, is there still a part of you that I'm attached to it? I think um, all the things that I'm on, on I'm, I'm, and I'm not, um, I'm incredibly loyal. And um, I love the opportunity to talk about those people who are pivotal for different periods of my life. And, um, you know, when I was a, a young bartender, there's a guy called Ben Macrina who was just happened to be in Worcester. He was, bar, you know, bartending in Liverpool. He, he introduced me to mixology different ways. And mm-hmm. I go on to, to work with, um, you know, Frosty, Lee Lynch uh, at Living Ventures, um, Lee Miller, obviously. Yeah. Um, Ben Martin, people who entered my life on training education-wise, all these people, their, their, their job was to train me. And the more that I opened myself up to that, the more they gave me back. You know, it's a two-way street. Like, if you're, if you're open, um, and this is, the you know, Dave, I'll, I'll let you jump in on this, but, um, uh, Ruth, you, you mentioned it perfectly. And there's a rule that I apply to what you were saying. Um in in our in life, but certainly in our industry, mm-hmm. um, everybody everybody loves to give back. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, and I'm not saying nobody. <laughs> nobody likes to ask for help. What a horrible conundrum where there is so much opportunity and not enough demand. Yeah. So for anybody who's looking for mentors, um, like reach out and. I can guarantee if you if you ask somebody to be truthful and you show them respect and you're willing to work um, for not them but for work at what they're offering you, you're going to be surrounded by great great people. And I learned that very very early on in my life that um, I was and, and I'm happy to be open and honest. Such as yeah. me in conversations like this is the more honesty that you show when you when you. Um, remove that barrier from people that everybody's going to watch in and want to help you for whatever you need. And I just, if, if that's a, a take home from today's session, the more people listening in go, I'm just going to ask one person something, someone who I admire in my group or, my, my, you know, or maybe you, you feel like they're outside of your peer group or whatever. Yeah. Just going to reach out and just go, I need something. I'd really appreciate some help. And if, if, if that motherfucker doesn't say yes, I'll, <laughs> I'll go around the fucking house and slit him. The <laughs> it, won't, it won't happen. It won't happen. It's just built into us to want to, to help because it betters us at the same time. And uh, we lose sight of that sometimes. Talking about wanting to help and being loyal, obviously the COVID-19 situation has really forced employees into really difficult situations um, that they really couldn't foresee um how has it affected you with such a large workforce to have to tell people you can't come to work and how has that played on you over the last few months 
Um, I've got to be very careful here because we don't know where we're at as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to say that. Um, there were a couple of early wins that I'm very proud of. Um, you know, when you know when everyone was firing all their staff off, like, you know, they were rats on a ship. We stood by our teams. Um, yeah. Thankfully, um, you know, the job retention scheme, the JRS scheme turned up and saved all of us. Um, it certainly saved our face. We hung on for longer. Um, and uh, we were... We were rewarded with uh, our belief in the system. You know, I think we can all agree that 80% was probably too generous. Um, but great to have it. Um, coming out of this situation, um, we found out five days ago that we were allowed this one-meter distancing thing. Yeah, yeah. Two meters, and let me get this very fucking clear for you, at two meters, my entire business ride is done. Wow. At two meters, every single employee in my company lost their job. At one meter, if we trade well, I've still got to lose 30% of my team. Wow. So, and I'm not saying that's happened yet because we found out two meters to one meter. One meter might turn to no meters next month and we hit the ground running and everyone's fine and we're back to normal. But it's... But it's testing. Um, I think what's exciting about my board of directors is we've looked at the JRS scheme and we've looked at the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Rishi and, and, and Boris have asked businesses to take on responsibility, financial responsibility for their staff on the way out of COVID. Yeah. Um, and what, for those of you who are listening in who aren't aware of what that means, is that um, in July they want us to pay um pension funds and they want us to pay national insurance and in august they want us to do the same thing but they also want us to pay 10 percent of the wage bill despite the fact we've not traded at that point for five months um and then i think they want to increase it again so 20 percent uh, in september so my board has sat down and said we intend to trade out of this and if any of my staff are listening to this um, be fucking rest assured that no one's going to fucking trade out this harder than us. If businesses are dying and popping and exploding like you know, you know, old balloons down the high street, if our balloon bursts, it'll be the fucking last one. I promise mm. all of you that. Wow. Um, and then uh, when it comes to do we stick or do we twist? Um, let's assume that we start to get out of this. Um, we presume that in a worst case scenario, we might be losing this third of our firm. And the board directors, after a long conversation, not that long, decided that we'd agree to pay everybody, regardless, we'd support them up until um, you know, the the end of August. No, sorry, the end of September, regardless of whether we could afford them or not. Wow. Um, thinks going to cost the, the company on current projections £40,000 for a business which is already a million pounds in debt. So, like, I don't, I sleep really well at night. Uh, firstly, thank you very much for being so open and sharing that with us. Yeah, I appreciate um, it, definitely. Um, but I don't, I don't not presume that I couldn't do more either. So, and, and, and this is it. So tomorrow morning, um, I've got, you know, we're bringing back, 20 staff members, they're all meeting me in Bethnal Green. 
and I'm running a three-day uh, intro school. Um, and I've already let it be very well known um, that the better you do, i.e. my Avengers, which has been their work running nickname, <laughs> um, the better you do, the more people we can re-employ. Um, so I'm not taking the responsibility by myself either. Yeah. So those 20 people have to go and fucking smash it and clean up their high streets um, so we can bring more and more of their friends back to work. I think I think what 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 that is is it just kind of proves the point that you you can't do it on your own, regardless of the perception people might have of an individual or how successful somebody might be. That the people around you are important. You, you need to build the right team. You need to have the right individuals. You've got to trust those human beings. You've got to be open and honest with them and set their expectations correctly. And I think any of you out there that, that are listening to are looking to either build your own business or uh, manage your own bar. I think it's one of the one of the biggest rules. I think it's one of the, one of the most important things out there to do is is to ensure that you've got the right people around you. You can win a fight by yourself for sure. Yeah, you ain't fucking war, are you? You define what success that you want to build in your life. But if you're going to dream big, you're going to have to bring some real good people with you. Or you got no chance. Simple. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, man. That's uh, and I think that's on any level. That's just that's standing behind a bar with people either side of you, in the back. What, uh, pot washing, the floor tenders, everyone, man. You, you just got to be looking around and looking up and thinking, I'm, I'm all right because I've got this person next to me. And and, and that's that's a blessed position to, to be in. It sounds like that's what you've done, is that when you look up and you see there's 20 individuals in front of you, it, it calms you down, it helps you, it relaxes you because you know you've got these people around you. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what it's going to be like this time around because inevitably we're taking we're – taking the cream of the company and we're bringing them back to work. Um, and it's the first time I've run training with any of them because it's a, an 11 year old company. So I'm really, um, I'm nervous about tomorrow. If I'm really honest with you guys, I'm, I'm excited. I'm nervous. Like I'm told that I can't be too harsh with people because of um, the, 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 the millennium gen Z culture. I'm also in love with the millennium gen Z culture. You know, this idea of putting experience before work rather than work before experience, I completely buy into it. Um, and I'm buzzed to see what happens. Um, like, I, I can't wait to connect on a, on a deeper level. Going back to the Prince's Trust situation, Damien, that you're talking about, this idea of um, like being um, influential in someone's life, even if for be a short term, like a few months or six months or a year. Um, you know, but to be much like the guys I got, you, you allowed me to read their names off a minute ago that uh, I'll never forget for their impact. And, and they were never more than six months each. Um, and what I value from them to give that to, to multiple people, you know, I'm also aware that this next three days of training and this relaunch weekend, despite the, when you look around, you know, it feels like, um, it feels like we're in Mordor or something. There's <laughs> lava everywhere and there's that like, one bit of rock. Do you know what I mean? That we're perched on that one bit of rock. But even on that one bit of rock, I feel um, I feel like something really magic's about to happen. Um, and maybe that's intensive. Like, and maybe I wouldn't feel like that unless the fucking lava was there. And this is a, you know, a great thing from life, isn't it? Like, what a, what a fabulous opportunity that, that you know, that you can have when, 
all around you is falling apart and then there is this kind of break of light that descends and I'm after that at all times and I always was as a young bartender like I always I use the the point break theory you know Bodhi was in on in search of the perfect wave you know and killing him obviously but um great film you know, yeah great film but like the perfect shift the perfect drink the perfect song the perfect moment you know if you can uh, if you can touch t- touch those multiple times on a shift then uh, you know your life's good that's, that's beautiful <laughs> man and i think i think you were just talking about being a little bit nervous about about your training session and i'm a big believer man that that, that nerve is a sign of respect do you know what i mean the that you see you want to be respectful to the people that that you're talking to and the people that sit in front of you and make sure they know what it is that they need to know. And, and I think anyone that ever gets nervous about presenting or training or speaking in front of people, I think it's because you give a shit. It's because you care. And, mm. I, and I think, do you know what I mean? And I think that's always for me an indicator. So whenever someone says to me and they've got to step out and do a tasting session or a training session, they say, I'm nervous. I just love it. Cause I look at them and go, it just means you care. You know what I mean? We're there. Man, it's a nice place. It's such an innocent, beautiful place. Yeah, it's super humbling as well, man. It's it's a, it's a great place to be in. Um, Damien, where are you, where are you going to get? Where are you going to take us now, man? <laughs> uh, so, so obviously, my, my music and background, and I know you're quite passionate for music as well. Uh, you you were telling me that your your book that you designed was yeah. in the shape of a or the size of an LP because yeah. of your love of music. Yeah. So. Um, I um I always like to ask our guests um music choices. So we're we're creating a Spotify playlist. So it's kind of a opening opening the bar playlist and closing down. So we ask our guests to choose a track that they would play uh to start a shift. So so um, funny. So I we've been doing these like really crass um we 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 reopening videos. Um, I've just yeah. learned how on my on my on my iPhone so I record my screen. So we've been ripping off music videos on YouTube. Like I'm pretty sure it's illegal. But Hannah, my wife, she goes, what about Chumba Wumba? I get knocked down. And Jim? I can't <laughs> stop listening to it. It really is buzzing me. And that is an insight <laughs> to like how um, a moth to a flame my brain is when it comes to music. <laughs> Um, there's no genre that I don't love, but um, yeah, I, I grew up listening to '90s hip hop and R&B, and I'd hang out in the. Everyone would have the nightclub. I don't know what your mine was called. Tramps in Worcester. What was your boys? What was the what was the nightclub called that you went to when you were like eighteen? Oh, well, I was I was going to like the twice a nice kind of garage nights. Yeah, nice. Oh, man. I was in the, the hip hop room. I was uh, so I was working at Poonanar, and we used to have our fat Papa Daddy nights. Oh, you're way cooler than us. That's your problem, mate. That's uh, that was hip hop <laughs> night, man. So I was I was uh, back in the day. I was in like a little break crew. So so we used to uh, we used to hang oh, out on a Wednesday. I have, perf- I have performed windmills before, not necessarily <laughs> successfully, but with confidence <laughs> in a hip hop room in Worcester. I'm all about the uprock. That's that was my jam. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Got a cross step going, yeah. Well, apparently I've got a, a shout out to G. Franklin, man. Apparently, me and him have got a battle coming up soon in your place. So uh, that would be interesting. <laughs> you had oh, it. I'm going to mediate that. 
I'm going to be the your Zoolander David Bowie impersonator. Right. That's me. I'm t- I'm too old. I'm too old. It takes me twenty it takes me twenty <laughs> minutes to get out of bed. My mind's in the shower. My body's still on the edge of the bed these days. Do you know what I mean? So. Thank you for bragging rights, though, bro. <laughs> any different yeah. age. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming for you, G. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> just saying and putting it out there I don't know if you question at all sorry <laughs> no that's fine <laughs> but the the visual that I now have of Roop and G battling is Brilliant. incredible and well Brilliant. <laughs> so the question Damien yeah so yeah so closing down so we've got Chumba Wumba starting up what are you going to close down to or wind down to? So it's a really great one, and I've got a hundred of them. So glad you asked me. Let me reel off in order. Um, no, <laughs> so what we say at London Cotswold Club is musically the best. The best part of an entire night at London Cotswold Club is the fifteen minutes after we close. So that was when the lights come on, and we've got like a plethora. And I don't use that word lightly. <laughs> of classic songs sick um, yeah like um, Celine Dion My Heart Will Go On yes in it's probably one of the most famous LCC closing down songs um, obviously you know when you get into like Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen yeah not yep. to be sniffed at um, but if I was to pick the greatest of all time um I will always love you, Whitney Houston. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. I might break out of that, Damien, in a second, actually. (laughs) 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 I'm going to sing along at the end of this. That's amazing. Well, so those are two good additions. Yeah, two great tracks. So then we've also got, um, so we talk about the music. So Damien tends to talk about the music side of it, and then I talk about the, the, the drink side, apparently. Um, so, uh, question for you, dude, is speed rail. Um, if you could have five products, any, any products at all in your speed rail, what would they be? Uh, lemon, yeah. sugar, gin, rum, Angus or bitters. So five. That was, that was super yep. fast. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I'm definitely yeah. happy with that. I'll always be happy with those five. That's amazing. And I know you've entered, I know you've entered uh, cocktail competitions in the past and I know you've got a drink that's pretty famous that's associated with yourself, but what for you is the most memorable cocktail you've ever created and, and, and why? Um, so again, it's a bit of a joke drink, but um, when I wrote, uh, we wrote the bacon egg martini um, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was so, it was pivotal in that, I was working on that series of drinks, which we ended up calling um, gastromixology, which is this interaction between like food and classic savory flavors and drink. And um, I was at Le Manoir at the time. We just won the restaurant TV show. I was training with obviously Raymond Blanc's team, Le Manoir. Yep. Um, and Hessen Blumenthal at the time had the bacon egg ice cream, which I realized I was like, hang on. A gelato has egg in it anyway. So it's really just bacon-infused ice cream. And uh, I was like, well, if we had like a whiskey sour, it's already got egg white in, so just be a bacon-infused whiskey sour. So it was a fun thing. Um, so you've got to imagine like fat washing didn't exist before then. Yeah. 
And, uh, and Heston Blumenthal, who we all know in the UK, is not that famous internationally, but really expanded molecular mixology. Um, Tony C was very much in his element at that point. Yep. Ryan Shetty was still working at, um, uh, for Tom and Tristan. Um, Pearl had just launched. Like, it was a fucking exciting time. That molecular thing really blew everyone out of the water. So, you know, coming from, you know, my background, when I approached molecular, I was really interested in doing it, obviously taking the piss, but in a fun way. Yeah. Um, so, and randomly, everyone was fat washing with vodka. No idea to stay why. Um, I think it was this idea of, um, you know, doing infusions. So, like, having oh, yeah, yeah. the bacon be the best expression of itself. But, of course, I sat there and, you know, went, well, bacon, bacon, well, that's a that's an American thing. American whiskey, smoky, caramel, um, you know, vanillins, perfect match. And then I was like, well, if you're going to go American with bacon, well, you better fucking cover it in maple syrup. So, you know, bacon, maple syrup, bourbon, egg white, and a little bit of lemon juice, a splash of Angostura bitters, as you guys know, I can't live without. <laughs> we had the, the bacon and egg martini in this kind of rip-off version of Heston Blumenthal's bacon and egg ice cream. Um, and this was uh, like 2010. Um, and that was just the fucking hottest ticket in the journalist planet so we we ended up in like ba high life which is like british airways uh, in flight magazine right there through to evening standard obviously and it was one of those drinks that um i wrote for a laugh and ended up probably being like the drink that just opened more doors for me than anything else in, wow. in, in my career ever and it happened early in an important time where you know, we really needed that little bit of bite. Um, the fact that we just, we took the piss and it just ran like that. And it still runs today. Like, you still get, like, tagged in it. Like, I think the Richard Goodman's drink from 2000 fucking one or whatever. That's brilliant. Is it in Is it in the book? Uh, the Bacon Egg Martini is in the book, yeah. So, so, uh, so tell us a bit about the book and how it came about and why you why you wrote and spent so much time and money producing a that beautiful piece of art um a book is a very interesting thing in a man or, or a woman or, or a person's life um uh to pick up and put on a shelf something that you've created is incredibly unusual and we talked about earlier about the cocktail and this beautiful transition between a, a bartender and a customer, so to speak, and, you know, or, or two people to exchange food and drink, it lasts half an hour, an hour, right? Um, if you open a bar, you're lucky if it lasts five years. Um, you know, we're, we're all mortal. And, and a book, books are on shelves long after you're dead. Yes. So there becomes this um, like thing where you're like, well, what could I produce that would like outlive me, right? And you say, it's not like, oh, what should I write about? It goes, it's, it's, you know, 
you just add that little 1% on and go, what would be big? Wow. So London Corsair Club, when we first got started, we didn't touch on it much in this interview, but year one, we lost money like savagely. We made it all back up at the end of the year after the restaurant TV show, but we lost money savagely. So we, we never had fresh fruits coming in. We didn't have any credit with any suppliers. So we go to Tesco, Tesco and Covent Garden, and we buy everything from Tesco. So just with the daily Tesco run, and the, the, the prices were pretty good, to be fair. You know, supermarkets are amazing for a lot of things. But while we were there, we would, like, buy supermarket ingredients to make drinks. So the Espresso Martini at, at London Grosso Club is very famous for the bourbon biscuit, which goes on the Espresso Martini. <laughs> well, we couldn't afford a coffee machine. So we used Nescafe. But, yeah, like, you laugh yeah. now, but... Um, we were really embarrassed about it back in the day, but we had to recreate this drink because it was so popular. It had to taste world class, but we also couldn't afford to make it. Wow! And this was the this was the thing, and this this relationship between us and fucking Tesco just grew and grew. And grew. <laughs> so you, when you guys see like our, um, you know, when we started making cocktails in golden syrup tins or jam jars, and we really were first on that, we realized it was cheaper to buy a full jar of jam than it was to buy a martini glass. we just be dumping <laughs> jam in the bin. <laughs> like, especially yeah. off the labels. <laughs> and doing whatever we could to make, to save a quid. Like, it was, it was mm-hmm. dire. Um, you know, and through that, we discovered that, you know, a lemon wedge will cost, you know, 15p because you get you know eight out of a lemon or whatever yeah um but a bourbon biscuit costs two and a half pence um uh haribo strawberry costs four pence but a lime wedge will cost you six which one would you like to choose to garnish a drink with and you know we just got so savvy on that that we just produce drinks in a completely unique way. So when it came to the book, Kitchen Cocktails, was there, there are some great cocktail books out there and classic cocktail books out there with ingredients that no one genuinely is going to get hold of easily or quickly. Yep. And there are great cocktail books out there which teach you how to make really basic drinks at home, but like a fucking screwdriver, a greyhound, are you serious? Go fuck yourself. There's <laughs> no aspiration in it. So we just made a beautiful book uh, with beautiful pictures, super creative. Every single ingredient was bought from supermarket. Uh, So no uh, boutique ingredients. And then we took 80 of our favorite cocktails of all time. We ripped out all of the ingredients that didn't exist in supermarkets. And we replaced them with things that were easy and affordable. So no one has an excuse not to make cocktails at home at all because of kitchen cocktails. That's amazing. amazing. So we, we, you know, the goal was more people should make drinks at home. What book is required to make that happen? Hmm. It has to be aspirational, easy, and affordable. So we, that's what we made. And it, Fantastic. And so, so where's it available? Amazon. Amazon, right, okay. Yes, Amazon. Hey, everyone, go out and buy it. <laughs> yeah, everyone, everybody go out and buy it. So, should we get to the last, the last bit, Rupe? So we got our speed round here, dude. 
So basically, um, you're going to hear our little countdown music. You've got, how long have we got, uh, Damien? 30 seconds. So I'm going to ask you some options and then you just pick the option that you prefer. So it'll be this or that. And then we move on to the next one. And we've got 30 seconds to try, try and get through as many of these as we can. All right. So you're, you're, yeah, uh, Damien's going to count us down. And, and I'm going to jump through these as fast as I can for you, man. All right. So here we go, Damien. Right. Let's do this. Are we all ready? Speed round. Speed round. Let's do this. Okay. So count you down from three, two, one, go. Negroni Manhattan. Negroni. Scotch bourbon. Bourbon. Tequila mezcal. Tequila. Crushed, cubed, or shaved? Cubed. Danger Mouse or Inspector Gadget? Danger Mouse. Bitters or mixes? Bitters. Fresh or dehydrated? Fresh. Short, long? Short. Cats or dogs? Ah, uh, dogs. <laughs> How did we do, Damien? How did we do? We did pretty well. Uh, okay. I thought we did all right, actually. If I'm <laughs> we did it quite well. Um, so what's uh, next? So that's it. I think you know. I, I just again, I just can't thank you enough, JJ, for uh, for this opportunity to, to have some quality time with you and just to kind of chat openly and frankly. It's been a real pleasure. How how was it for you, brother? Um, honestly, boys, I just think uh, I've been so excited to chat to you. Um, Damon's been handing me for weeks to. to <laughs> And he's been so incredibly patient. And honestly, it just feels so lovely to share with you too. You seem to have a really unique perspective. And I just adore you two as a pair. I think that you um, you combine with a, a unique goal. And um, I'm so engaged to see what you do with this next. Please keep it up. I think it's important for everybody. No, Thank I, you very I, much. No, I really appreciate that, man. And it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you, dude, honestly. Like, obviously, we've met and we know each other, but getting to know you on, on this platform in this way, it's been, it's been pretty amazing, man. So thanks for your time. And um, Damien, honestly, another one down. For, for me, man, it's been, it's been wicked. It's been absolutely wicked, man. What about you, Damien? No, it has been. And all I can do is uh, wish everything goes well with the training session tomorrow, the upcoming weekend. Um, this will come out on Monday. So, um, yeah, it's uh, interesting times. Yeah, and obviously, man, like, uh, congratulations once again on, on, on the uh, upcoming news. Do you know what I mean? Incredible news. Hope that all goes well for you, man. Family's important. And, uh, yeah, I hope that really goes well for you, brother. Right, Damien, I think we're going we're gonna to sign out now, right? We are indeed. So, yeah, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Drop us an email. Let us know what you think, if you have any questions for future guests. And we'll catch you in the next one. And we're going to uh, put in a link to, to Mr. Goodman's book uh, via, Amazon, it, it, via Amazon, even, uh, in the bio and, and all the bits and pieces, information that you need. And obviously, his wife's uh, YouTube channel. We'll drop that in there as well, man. I really want to hear some of that music. You need to get off my fucking wife. <laughs> 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 Let's, let's let's wrap this up brother all right then man cool all right all right everybody thanks a lot and we'll see you next time look after yourselves and each other love you